The Accidental Entrepreneur is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, A. Weber, the world's leading small business email marketing and automation service provider. Since 1998, A. Weber has helped more than 1 million small businesses and entrepreneurs through its suite of web-based email marketing, automation tools, and education. A. Weber, the best option when it comes to marketing your business. The podcast is also brought to you by the Alternative Board. Since 1989, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has been one of the leading peer advisory and business coaching organizations for independent business owners and CEOs across the world. By facilitating peer advisory boards, private one-on-one coaching, and strategic planning services, TAB helps business owners improve their businesses in ways that change their lives. And be sure to check out our affiliate sponsor, One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the avid podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. And so I she was like, if that's what you're going to do, time, I don't believe yeah, it. you yeah. can do that. But I think you should go back to school. And I was like, I don't want to go back to school because I, I don't for, I'm just getting out of this. I've dedicated. I went to a fine arts high school to learn this craft, to become a professional oh, actor. Okay. I've been a professional yeah. actor for the better part of a decade. At that point, 17, I've been doing it 10 years. And uh, right. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to continue this while I, while the iron is hot, I'm going to yeah, but 17 Tyler. You're not done with high school yet. Right. The- well, so again, I went to a fine arts high school, so I had, and it was a unique school in that it was on the Copernicus system. So we only had two classes a day for 10 weeks and then you'd reset. So instead of a semester system where you have like four or five classes for half a year, we would have two classes for a quarter. Okay, so what the hell is the Copernicus system? That sounds like something like astronomy. Well, I, I, I think it's, it's named before. after the astronomer, and why it's oh, I think it's I think it's named after the astronomer because it's separated into quarters the same way that the seasons are. Got it. Okay, okay. Uh, welcome to another episode of the podcast. If you are listening on your favorite directory, please leave us a five star review wherever you can. If you're watching us on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button, the like button, and I don't know, whatever other buttons there are. So uh, we have a great guest today, as we always do. We're going to talk to Tyler Foley. We're going to talk about public speaking, making you more comfortable on the, I guess, on the mic, in front of the camera, in front of people. And we'll hear Tyler's story as well. So let's get on with the show. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions. The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. 
If you're like millions of other Americans and are struggling with the fear of public speaking, then this next episode is for you. My name is Tyler Foley. I'm the author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. And I'm here to show you that not only do you have no need to fear the audience, but they're actually on your side and wet, ready and willing to hear your message. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. Okay. Our guest today, Sean Tyler Foley, I believe goes by Tyler, right? That's correct. Is an accomplished yeah is an accomplished film and stage performer who has been acting in film and television since he was six years old. He's appeared in productions including Freddy versus Jason. I'm not a big horror film guy, but I would have seen it if that scared the crap out of me. Door to Door, Carrie, definitely not even seen that one either, and the musical Ragtime. I think I did see that. He's a veteran podcast guest with over 300 appearances on episodes of topics ranging from leadership to safety to overcoming adversity. And he's here to tell his story today. He's currently the author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked, and the managing director of Total Buy-In, where he works with CEOs and executives, helping them show up powerfully behind the mic to gain the exposure they need. Tyler, welcome to The Accidental Entrepreneur. Oh, thank you, Mitch. It's, uh, <laughs> it's great that this isn't an accident we're here today. Right, absolutely. We met through Podmatch, I think. Right, I get a lot of guests off that yeah, site. He's, yeah, yeah. Uh, Podmatch Alex is, is one of my favorite. Uh, uh, honestly, it's actually one of my favorite platforms as an entrepreneur. I've uh, what Alex has put together. Alex Sanfilippo, who's the uh, co-founder of Podmatch. Um, yeah, it. I think it's a phenomenal platform, and I'm always always happy when I can make a match on there. Yeah, definitely. I tie into a lot of websites, and I get more from Podmatch than. Uh, anything that we do. Um, all right. So I was telling you off the mic, maybe we could go back to, you know, growing up because you said you were a child actor and you're public speaking. We'll get into some of your business ventures and share some things. And then we'll talk about some tips, how you get more comfortable and how you should get more comfortable. Should everyone join Toastmasters? Like, I don't even know. So we'll, uh, we'll go through that. All right. So you take it away. Yeah. So to start off with, I mean, as you said, what, what is the beginning? How did, uh, Sean Tyler Foley, affectionately known as Tyler amongst his friends, get to be here. Um, and and it's funny, like most stories, it's circuitous, right? When you look back, it's a straight line. But if you were to be like yeah. six-year-old me looking forward, be like, I don't know, I that seems preposterous. How would you even get there? And uh, right. life never, you know, the first, line, as you had yeah. mentioned in the intro, you know, I started on yeah. stage at, at six years old. And that in itself was, uh, you know, very... Uh, very random, you know, particularly when you're that age, discovering that somebody has a talent to be on stage is kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall and you got to figure out which noodle sticks, right? So you weren't like, mom, I want to be on, I want to be in a show. I want to do this. No. And to be honest, I don't know that there's many, uh, many early childhood, six year olds or even earlier, uh, you know, that, that start, it's, it's usually a a parent or a teacher who gives them the opportunity and then they commercials or whatever. Right. Yeah. Now is, what was the first production you were in? The first production that I, the first amateur production that I was in was my school play, the Easter or the Christmas pageant. And I got to play (laughs) Joseph and my best friend, Lisa was Mary and, you know, we just sat there in, uh, I think, uh, bathrobes <laughs> that, were, right. that were to, to be desert garb. And, uh, and, you know, we just, I ended up getting a whole bunch of laughs because at the time, uh, you know, they, we had the three wise men bringing gifts, right. uh, period appropriately wrapped in gifted 
paper because <laughs> that's okay. i'm sure how they came because they had a lot of that in the yeah exactly in days, yeah and uh, what i would do is the the wise men would bring these gifts and and give it to us the gold frankincense and myrrh and and i would take each one individually one by one and place it very gently very delicately down on to uh baby jesus's head in the manger and so with each package you know the first one where i sat it on the doll's head because i didn't think it was a doll and there was a nice little place to put it and i had right. to put it somewhere uh the audience laughed you know just a little at first it was just a little chuckle and then the second right. gift went right over top of the first gift smothering this poor doll and then so <laughs> the audience laughed a little bit more And by the time i put the third one down it was just up riotous laughter and I didn't know why they were laughing, but I knew that it was something that I had done and it made me feel good inside. And yeah. that was kind of my first, you know, hint at what performance could be. And then when we took our bows at the end, everybody stood up and I got a standing ovation and you could hear the crowd just roar. And, nice. and I remember thinking, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And so the bug bit you. Yeah. Eh? I think my girls were both Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz in their place too, and but I think that was the end of their career. They're not uh, not pursuing it at this point. Well, and the worst part is, is you fast forward thirty five years, and I have my daughter, and she, yeah. uh, um, you know, she was cute, right? Up, like, and I objectively cute because I I used to run right because every parent, yeah, exactly. I used kids. to run a talent agent, so I know the the ratio of cute to not cute <laughs> in the assumption of cute, yeah. Um, And so I I, I had to do it too, because I was like, okay, no, am I just, am I being that parent because I've met those parents or is, is, you know, my daughter actually like, does she have a a shot at this? And so I I put her in front of my agent and was like, Hey, um, thoughts. And my agent was like, Oh, we've got to get her on. I've got a photo shoot coming up next week. Do you think she can do it? I was like, I don't know. Submit her. Let's find out. And so the first gig that my daughter ever had was at 11 months old. And she acted until she was about four. And mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, one day was like, I don't like, I don't like the auditions. I don't like going. And we we're like, okay, uh, don't do it anymore. Wasn't for her. And so yeah. we, we, we stopped doing it. And then, um, about two years later, two and a half years later, she got submit, uh, uh, my agent phoned and was like, there's this really good thing. I think Kenzie would be good for it. And we asked her, we we're like, do you want to do it? And she was like, yeah, no, sure. Why not? And so, and sure enough, she ended up booking it. Um, and nice. she, you know, had an absolute riot on set. And so now she's back into it. Now, when, when can we do the audition again, daddy? Right, right. Now she's into, I do remember my girls were in a dance studio and the dance, um, the head of the studio had a friend who was a booking agent also. And yeah. the, the girls were doing something. And he's like, you know, your girls should. So my wife spent like months, maybe years driving into the city, going to these auditions, trying to park, getting tickets, you know, getting out of the city, getting stuck in traffic. They got close, but they didn't get a thing. And there were people there, even their nannies, not even the moms. And they're, they're talking to the little kids. Listen, we need this job. Yeah. Like we, yeah. we need this job. You can do it, you know, type of thing. And, you know, my wife was like, look, whatever, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah, it never really panned out. But I remember that whole experience as I went a couple of times. It's a tough business and you know the business yeah so and and it can be i was i was lucky because first of all i grew up in a smaller market so there wasn't first of all there wasn't the big competition um it's still competition right Uh, yeah but like when i was 12 14 into my you know later teens there was like eight of us you'd see each other at at each audition right like it was the same yeah you're like hey dave how you doing hey alex how you doing yeah yeah 
Good to see you. Did you get that last one? Oh, you got that last one. High five. Good job. How was the sh- shoot? You know, like, was it fun? It was like a support. Yeah. And, yeah. and we were all friends. And so we kind of knew who was getting what and where. And I think that really helped because I never had, I, first of all, I never had the feeling of competition. Um, and although I grew up um, in a, in a single parent household because my father passed away very, when I was very, very young um, and my mom was a widower uh, when I was six um, mm. Or I guess widow, uh, she, uh, we never, you know, lacked for anything. And so there was never like a pressure on me. Like we, I wasn't, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't a financial reason for me to perform. It was a uh, thing for me to do because I enjoyed it. And the fact that I got paid for it was just a bonus extra. Where'd you grow up? Uh, In Calgary, Alberta, Canada. There you go. Yeah, and more specifically, just south of the city. So I, the Calgary is, is our main, is the closest metropolitan center to the very, uh-huh. very small town that I grew up in called High River, Alberta. And for any of the uh, listeners out there who have Netflix and may have watched the Canadian produced television series Heartland, High River is the okay. main set for Heartland. It's also... Oh, what stood in right, for Under the Banner of Heaven um, was okay. filmed up here, and The Last of Us was filmed up here. Um, wow! Yeah. So you don't play hockey? Do you play? Oh, hockey? Of course I do. Are you kidding? Are, this is <laughs> this is how much you probably have skates on right this now. Is, right? You don't so even you walk. laugh, Mitch. Ready? We're gonna step back in the studio two seconds, and yeah. I don't even have to go three feet. And there's my goalie mask right there. There you yeah. go. So I went to Cornell in upstate New York, and half the team was from Canada. You know, the guys playing hockey. Yeah. And these guys, they couldn't, they couldn't walk, but they could skate. Yeah. They, these guys could do things on skate. Never seen in my life. Yeah. Well, and the worst or is, is I, I'm a goalie. Yeah. So like I, I, oh. I'm, there's the hockey players and then there's the goalie on the ice. And we're always just that, just a little bit apart. You got to protect that face. Though, oh right? yeah. You're an on stage guy. Yeah, you know? got to keep the pretty People face. shooting and, pucks at your face. Not a good and thing. the worst part is, is I am incredibly vain. And so that was one of the reasons why <laughs> I did go with the goalie position because a bigger mask. Uh, it's just, yeah. So I got to have a full face yeah. mask. Plus I also be, I'm the only player that's on the ice the whole time. Um, but being a, an actor, it was great in my twenties and thirties because I, I read young and uh, you know, I'm 43 now. And so when I was in my twenties and thirties, I was still playing like late teens, early twenties, like, you know, either grade 12 right. high school or like early, right you know yeah and they want university. people that are more mature to be able to play something exactly well roles, that right? they can work you longer <laughs> oh yeah right because you don't have the rules where you got to stop at exactly point, right? and so i you know i did that but now that i'm into my early 40s i'm playing a lot of uh you know dads and particularly right. in this market we we have a ton of westerns so i'm always having to w- wear stubble and like you know this current thing that I have going on, I've had to maintain yeah. for the last two weeks because I auditioned for a role and I have a callback that I need to film on Saturday. And I'm like, I do not like this. You don't want it to grow in more or it, no, they want it. They, they, they want it to be like scruffy. scruffy. They like, it's the, it's the West. Yeah. So you need to look like unkept. Yeah, it makes sense. Right. Like when you shake. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. And so it, that's great for film. But yeah. I do film like, you know, I, I film a thing once every couple of months, 
you know, but you're auditioning all the time. You're like, oh, I just take this off. So I'm looking forward to that callback because, yeah, I'm not, I don't, now I don't shave too much because of the pandemic. I'll go four or five days, but the hair in your face is like a lifetime of harem. I don't get, yeah, I, I couldn't have a thick beard. It just no, doesn't happen. Mine either. Mine either. So if you film one month and then you got to film two months later for the same thing, you got to like adjust your beard. So you look the same. Yeah. Well that, but so the nice thing is, is once you get the role, it stops being your responsibility <laughs> to maintain it and it starts uh, right, becoming hair make and makeups. So all they ask right. is that you come like as much of it as you can. And then they, and they will have a picture of you and look at yeah, you. They right will trim it down just, and, and keep it going. Cause they take, so you're not only helping in teaching people public speaking, you're also continue to act. I, I do. So it's a part-time thing now um, because, you know, one, it, it performing is like the mob. When you're in, you're in. And even when you try to get out, it drags you back in. Like I, I technically right. retired at 25. Stepped away from done. the performance. If you check my IMDb page, there's like a real huge gap from like 2004, yeah. 2005 to around 2015, 2016. And the, what brought me back in was, was performing with my daughter because I was taking her to the auditions and the casting directors knew me and they're like, Tyler, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, you know, Mackenzie, you know, I'm dropping her off. And they're like, oh, well, we got a role for the dad. Do you want to come in and read? Read, right. Yeah. F, why not? What could the harm be? Well, the harm is, is now I'm back doing it. Yeah. Right. It just got sucked back in. Right. So what was the first paid gig that you had? First paid gig I had was playing Tiny Tim in a a professional production of The uh, Christmas Carol. Got it. Got it. Well, stage work is hard, right? I mean, you got to know your lines. There's not nobody saying cut and redo it. Ironically, uh, you're correct in that you, you don't have a second take. But I actually find theater work easier because there's instantaneous feedback on your performance. Oh yeah, because you're live and the people are there. Yeah, and when you're performing on way, I guess on set on a you know on film or television, and you know the video village is away, the director's over on somewhere else. He might come in or she might come and talk to you uh, and be like, okay, so you know do this, or you might run a quick blocking of the scene, but it, it, it's also very rapid pace, so you don't have the kind of time to explore the nuances of the performance. You have to come ready to do it. And oftentimes you only have maybe two or three days to prepare. And got it. Got it. Well, that makes yeah, sense. Where with theater, you you're rehearsing for two, three, four months. Yeah. To get ready. And, you know, and then you start performing yeah. and it all flows. Yeah. Right? And then you get to do it for over multiple days, multiple weeks. Like when I was doing ragtime, it was an 18 month right. residency. And yeah. Really? So like, you know, you do that was in up by you in Alberta. I, no, actually that was in Vancouver at the Ford theater. Oh, okay. So when, uh, the year that, uh, ragtime actually got nominated for the Tony award, uh, it, it, the, uh, live event that produced it, um, had it playing in New York and Vancouver. It had originally workshopped and debuted in Toronto and then uh-huh. had its two residencies in Vancouver and, um, and New York, and I was part of the Vancouver cast. And how old were you at that point? Uh, that point, uh, I would have been barely nineteen. So that was your first paid gig. No, no, no. The ragtime wasn't. That was Vancouver. The oh no, you just talking about ragtime. Yeah. I got it. Okay. Uh, but it's, okay. uh, for uh, when I was playing Tiny Tim, I was seven. Yeah, you were seven. Yeah. Okay, all right, good. So take me through the you know the entrepreneurial journey. 
you know, so you, you mostly acted and you went to school, right? Yeah. You had to do all that stuff and they pull you out of school and put you back in and everything. So when did you start getting into the public speaking and realizing that people needed help? Well, so when I first started Until getting into public later. speaking, I was probably nine or 10 years old. Uh, one of my teachers, Mrs. Henderson, uh, came up to me and she's like, I want you to do this thing. And she says, memorize this poem. I said, all right. And what I didn't realize was that she was having me memorize the poem because she had entered me into a provincial speech competition. And then, oh, so nice. I are regional to start with. It went regional, then provincial. And then I won both of those Got and it. ended up going to a national. Yeah. Why tell you, you might get nervous. But yeah. Well, I don't know what Which her thought process was, but yeah, it, she was like, you know, <laughs> we're going to do this anyway. I absolutely loved doing it. And so I, I continued to do um, the speech competitions up until probably junior high, really, really, really enjoyed the experience. But what had happened was I, I had alluded to it after 20 years in the business, I was about 25. I'd become very jaded with the process. It uh-huh. had stopped being fun. Yeah. I used to act again, not because it was uh, a means of making right, money. You didn't need the money. It was right. just, it was fun to do. And then when I got to move out on my own, like I was 17, I hadn't even graduated high school yet. And I was already had my first apartment in Vancouver. Um, that sounds, yeah, fun. it was, yeah, it was awesome. You know, when you're, when you're young and you're doing, you're like, and, I, right. and it was hard to do. I remember having to get an apartment in like one of the most expensive places to live on the West coast in Canada, not because I could afford it, but because it was the only place that would rent to somebody my age. Right. I was going to say, your mom probably would have to co-sign the lease. Who's going to rent to a 17 Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I didn't have anybody to co-sign. But, and, not, and my mom was, was wonderfully supportive for all the stuff that I did. But it was also one of those things, if you're going to do this step, you have to do it on your own. You know, okay. partly because I... She didn't want you moving out. Well, it's not that she didn't want me moving out. It's that I was choosing to perform instead of go back to school. Ah, and so I she was like, gonna, if that's what you're going to do, time, and I'm yeah, yeah, you can do that, but I think you should go back to school. And I was like, I don't want to go back to school because I, I don't, for, I'm just getting out of this. I've dedicated, I went to a fine arts high school to learn this craft, to become a professional oh, actor. Okay. I've been a professional yeah. actor for the better part of a decade. At that point, 17, I've been doing it 10 years. And uh, right. I was like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to continue this while I, while the iron is hot, I'm going to yeah, but 17 Tyler. You're not done with high school yet. Right. The- well, so again, I went to a fine arts high school, so I had, and it was a unique school in that it was on the Copernicus system. So we only had two classes a day for 10 weeks and then you'd reset. So instead of a semester system where you have like four or five classes for half a year, we would have two classes for a quarter. Okay, so what the hell is the Copernicus system? That sounds like something like astronomy. Well, I, I, I think I've it's, heard it's named after the astronomer, and why it's oh, I think it's I think it's named after the astronomer because it's separated into the quarters the same way that the seasons are. Got it. So okay. you're doing so. So did it accelerate? So by 17, you were done with the school, basically. You graduated. So what had happened was you don't want to go to college uh, when you get a, a spare, right? Because you uh-huh. get spares. There's there's blanks in your schedule i had uh what spares like uh block yeah the blocks off yeah right so but if you get a block off on the quarter system you only have a class in the morning and a class in the afternoon oh yeah like the whole. so yeah basically yeah so if you have two spares you have the whole day off i had a spare and i was actually taking uh my language arts 30 so the grade 12 uh english studies english basically um, right yeah on uh through correspondence so it, I was one of the first, uh, I was part of a ty- uh, 
pilot project to test online learning. This is 1997. So you were like the first Zoom. Yeah, kid. exactly. People still, well, it wasn't even Zoom. There was no video. It was all, right, there was no yeah, video, there was all right, internet delivery. And uh, so I was part of this pilot project. So I was actually able to, uh, I had a spare and then I was able to do this, this English class remotely. From wherever you were, it didn't matter. And yeah. it was self-paced. So I actually, I had, um, and I had more than the 10 weeks. I think I had like 20 weeks that were assigned to do it. And I did all the assignments in three. So I was, so it was done. Yeah. So I was, I was done and I went out. So I was actually living in Vancouver before I even came back to graduate. Got it. So the issue really with your mom was university. Yeah. So mom wanted me to go to school and a couple of things as a, as a child performer, I had, uh, a trust. Because when okay. you when you are uh, particularly when you're unionized, one of the requirements yeah New, uh, states are the same way. Yeah. I think you can't. There's Jackie Coogan laws. You got to put the exactly. money. Exactly, money's got to go. Because if not, parents have stolen it. Exactly. So you have access yeah. to the first twenty five percent of your check right away, but seventy five percent of it has to go into the trust. My mom didn't need the twenty five percent, although I'm sure she could have used the twenty five percent. It wasn't that she didn't need it, but she felt that it was her. You know, it was so yours, she took right? a little bit as kind of like at a min fee for her, like gas and getting stuff around. Mm-hmm. I always got about 10% for my money for like spending for me, which I, I bought a whole bunch of stamps. That was my thing. I collected stamps and hockey cards. <laughs> stamp collecting? Yeah, stamp that, collecting. Kind of stamps? And the funny thing is, is, it. is it was one of my first investments because all of my stamps appreciated. So when I sold off my collection, nice. I actually made money off of it. But nice. I, so I had all this money in trust, but mom had locked the trust away until I was 25. So you right. She had the option of 18, 21 or 25. Oh shit. I see. And okay. I was like, well, I'm not even going to get my trust until I'm 25. I barely know who I am and I want to give a go of this. So I had always committed to myself. I was going to act until I was 25. Right. And then if it was going good, I was just going to keep doing that. And if it w- if I wasn't at a point in my career that I wanted to be, I was going to go back to school. You go back to school. And right? so at tw- you didn't have kids. You didn't have responsibilities. Yeah. And so at 25, I took a, a pulse check of where I was at. You didn't know my name or that I was an actor before I hopped on the show, along with everybody else who's listening right. to this. Right. But we've seen your stuff. Right. So I don't know who you yeah, are. Yeah. Right. So I, w- I am not the famous. Tyler Foley that I wanted to be at 17 when I put my mission to this. I was a very good day player and I I made a consistent earning and living as an actor. Okay. So one of the nice things that I can say is that I, I was a working actor and not a lot of people, particularly in the union yeah. or that do this job, are able to say that. And there was a point actually after I'd stopped acting before I'd actually started school, because I didn't go to school right away. I'd kind of entered the labor force and, and worked um, a couple of jobs before I actually figured out what I wanted to do for school. Um, but I was very happy that it took almost a decade before I ever earned more as a quote unquote regular job than I did right. as a performer. So I was doing very good as a performer. I was making a, a very decent, comfortable wage performing, which not a yeah. lot of people can say. But I wasn't, I wasn't where I was at and I did want to go back to school. And so I went back and I got an engineering discipline, uh, specialized okay. in a study called photogrammetry, which is, wow. um, it's earth study. It's pictures of the, of the earth. So if you've ever okay. clicked on satellite view on Google earth or Google maps, yeah, that what you see is what are called, uh, ortho mosaics, sti- uh, ortho photos that are stitched together. An ortho photo just means that you've taken out the 3d of the photo 
and made it two dimensional so that it's flat so that you can actually measure accurately off of these pictures. And that's what I specialized in. Um, and I, so it's kind of like map making, but a little bit more. It's map making with pictures, real time, and yeah, yeah. And and Got so I, I and I came from a long line of cartographers and photogrammetrists and surveyors. So that was what I was thinking of cartography. Yeah, yeah. Right? I know. I've got the fancy ones for you, Mitch. I'm there. <laughs> so <laughs> what had happened was I, I, it was in my blood and it was an interest. And I got to apprentice with my uncle who owned his own mapping firm. Uh, for a little bit just to try and figure out if it was a thing that I liked. And I did. I mean, this isn't even close to what you were doing no. or interested in doing. It's not even worlds yeah. apart. But the thing is, except, is it, except it com- family was in the yeah, business. But it, it combines a couple of my, my passions, right? I always did. Okay. I was, I've always been fascinated by maps and earth study and how did we get here and how does the earth change? So that was a thing that I liked. I've always loved planes. Okay. One of the first jobs I had after retiring from acting was working for one of our national airlines. And I just, okay. I love, and even when I was younger, I, I remember the first time my uncle took me up in a crop duster and getting to fly low level flights above the earth. You know, we're only a thousand feet in the air, but you, you're free yeah, on the crop duster, you know? Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, especially cause he, he was in an old world war one biplane was what we had for our crop duster. So it was like, yeah, like, uh, what's that? The, the, the Snoopy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the red Baron. Yeah. Like- the Red Baron, yeah. right? right. Yeah. It was interesting, but that's that was exactly it. I was in the Baron. Red Baron plane. I used yeah. to think that I was cool. It's actually what my uncle would call it. That's yeah. funny. So yeah, I remember you know, that. so I was so I was fun. hooked, absolutely hooked with aviation. So to learn that I could have a job and a career flying a fleet of planes, taking pictures of the earth and and making this, especially because at that time Google Earth was starting to become a, a thing. You could have been the guy who drove the car around, you know, with the with the camera on top. I applied. I don't think that's a high paying job. No, it is no. not. But I did apply because it, <laughs> I, I, I love road trips too. So it's fun. Right? I would drive yeah. randomly just for the joy of it. But what I, what ended up happening was I started this, this mapping firm with my business mentor because I okay. needed to do an internship as part of my study at, at university. And so while I was in college, I, I, I interned with this uh, shop and then uh, the owner had come to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, of branching out from this traditional photogrammetry and going into this 3d mobile scanning. So the, the, the Google cars, right. Yeah. The stuff now you can see everything yeah. 3d. And now. I was like, that seems like, yes, let's do that. And so we created our own company called InView solutions. Unfortunately, uh, about two and a half, three years into that venture, my business partner passed away very suddenly and Ooh, we didn't guy. have the right director's insurance in place. And as a lawyer, I'm sure you can appreciate yeah. oh, no, what that means. All that stuff. You yep, know, and so time. literally over the, a weekend, I lost my business partner, one of my best friends, and my business, and all of my investment that I had put into the company financially and time yeah. gone overnight. Really? And so I was in a very dark place and yeah. unsure of what to do. And a friend of mine who is a very successful business person himself knew that when you're in that business, your primary clients are oil and gas and they are, um, and usually the government. And both of those require that you have a health and safety program in place. And so I had to take a whole bunch of safety training in order to create the safety program for us to then be able to work for these two, our major clients. I see. So my friend knew that I had the safety training and he had a, a construction project 
that he was overseeing and he needed a safety officer. And he came to me, he said, you have most of the training to become a national construction safety officer. If I pay for you to upgrade with these three courses, will you come and work for me for a year? I said, sure. I don't know what else I'm going to do. So he gave me a very fair wage, gave me a really nice um, boost to my education and augmented what I already had from my engineering discipline. And so now I have this safety designation to go along with it. And I started doing safety training. Well, while I was doing this safety management and this, you know, uh, training and, and all of these things for safety as a safety professional, yeah. I was working on this large project and it was almost a billion dollar build. So like you, you have a, a lot of uh, interested stakeholders who are coming through this building and they are representative or are the big wigs of these companies. And this yep. one day I knew that we were having this quarterly tour. So you had eight or 10 of these heads of these major uh, corporations coming through the building. And I was yelling at one of the guys who was standing up on it wasn't even a ladder. He had like Jerry rigged two ladders together with like duct tape and, and wire electrical wire. Cause he had to get up, he needed to get up high. I'm like, we have a scissor lift right over there. Himself. And this yeah. was your solution. And I, he was like, you don't even know, you know, cause everybody knew that I was an actor. They'd seen my IMDb, your actor boy, right? Just go back, you know, right. go back to set, <laughs> eat some crafty, whatever. Yeah. Right. And so I'd get a lot of flack from him. And I remember as soon as he called me actor boy, it just, I triggered. And I was like, listen, this actor boy used to jump out of windows for a living. And that was safer than what you're doing on the ladder. And yeah. I was referencing uh, a very couple. Well, you had a big cushion that'll land. On, well, right? I, yeah, I used to, for a very brief <laughs> period of time in my late teens and early twenties, I was doing, I was, an, I wasn't ever a stunt man, but I was an actor who did stunts. Did some stunts. And one of the stunts that I did was a high fall from a six story window actually into boxes because the airbags are are usually about two stories tall. So if you're trying to do any smaller falls, it's too big, but you can fall into cardboard boxes, um, you know, anywhere from six to 12 layers of cardboard boxes uh, quite, quite safely. And so I, I remember just screaming this thing. And one of the executives heard me because it was a very echoey project at that point because there weren't a lot of walls up yet because we were building them. And uh, he, he pulled me to the side and he said, is that true? I said, is what true? He said, did you used to jump out of windows? I was like, oh, yeah. And he's like, and that's safer than than what's going on here. <laughs> Unfiltered exactly. Tyler went, oh, yeah, yeah it was. way safer. And he was just blown <laughs> away because in his mind, you know, they're 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 the pinnacle of safety when it comes right. to process and i went no you got you guys have all of this stuff in place and absolutely no practicality and this is and because of that that's why we get things like this and he was he was absolutely mesmerized by it he's like would you talk about that in our toolbox talk tomorrow i said sure absolutely so i gave it as a toolbox talk and another executive heard it came up to me and said is that true i said what did you used to jump out of windows and it wasn't safer i was like absolutely right. he said would you come and give that as a keynote presentation at our next uh, so now you're yeah they tapped in yeah you. and i was like absolutely i had no idea what a keynote was mitch <laughs> right. you're like God, what yeah. am I going to do? First thing I was doing, I'm on the internet. I'm searching keys. What do I got to do? Where am I? What, yeah. What is a keynote and why do we need keys to speak? And, uh, right. and then when I figured it so out, funny. it was great. And his uh, assistant had reached out to me and asked, you know, what my speaker fee was. I was like, I have no idea. Right. You're like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 and so right. I, I had a friend 
uh, who is a public speaker. And I reached out to him and I said, Jason, what, what would I even charge? And he's like, well, this yeah. is what I charge. And I know other speakers who charge this. And I was like, that was completely useless. That was no help. I needed to know right. a number and you gave me a vague response. Yeah. No, so I wrote down, I had just gotten paid and, uh, with my position, it was salaried and I got paid monthly. And okay. so I, I got my paycheck. So I just literally wrote down my before tax number on my paycheck and, and said, this is my sent it off to go get a whole one worst thing. They were going to be like, that's way too high or whatever. Right. Right. Well, he came back. He goes, okay, well, do you want that uh, in advance or on the day? In a bag of cash. I want to meet you yeah. behind the building. I, and, and, at, <laughs> and at that point I realized that I could earn what I was earning in a month and, and remember, my buddy's day, paying. An hour. Yeah, he's paying me mad oil money, construction right. oil money. So I was. It wasn't yeah. like I was hurting. It wasn't a wanting salary. I was doing comfortable. I was good. It bought my wife and I my, our first house. Like you know, I got my new fancy truck out of it. And so I'm looking at it, going, okay, let's do this. And so I started to explore what some of those other opportunities were. And so one of the first things I did was I asked, you know, how do you book these speakers? Who is there? Do you have a right. same well, person somewhere industry, else? Right. Yeah. Speakers bureau. Yeah. Right? You got to find. And a, so I started, yeah. I started uh, really pursuing it. And when I gave that address, that first keynote yeah. in the audience was an executive. I think she was the, uh, either the CFO or the COO. I can't remember right now. And she came up to me afterwards and she said, that was fantastic. She said, that's probably the best, uh, let alone safety presentation, because everybody knows safety presentations and safety meetings are usually an invitation for a lobotomy, boring. right? Yeah. Like boring. they're awful. They're boring. Yeah. I've never been to one and I know. They're exactly. Boring. Do they have the, the <laughs> reputation precedes them? And right. she said, not of only course. was that the best safety presentation I've ever been to. She says, that's the best presentation period that I've been to. How? Yeah. You're just good at it. You can't get an And I said, I, thank you. And she's like, I, I can't do that. And she says, I have to present all of the time to these boards and to these, at these various meetings and updates. Oh, and she says, first client. it Here terrifies go. me. Would you be yeah. willing to help me? I was like, sure, absolutely. She's like, great. Yeah. What do you charge as a coach? <laughs> yeah. There you I was go. saying oh, yes, well, because uh, I just wanted to help her. Of course. No, I just, I had a guy on the show a couple of weeks ago. And it's also, he does on camera stuff and making people, he was doing it for people for free. He was a young kid, 17, 18 years old. And then somebody finally says, why are you doing this for free? And then he said, now it's a business, yeah. but yeah, he was just trying to help people. Sometimes that does become a business. I'll tell you what, we got to take a commercial break. And I, I, but I do want to say something because I think it's, it's very unique. You, first of all, you were, for whatever reason, your upbringing, growing up in a small town, whatever, you were a very confident you know, kid, like most kids, and I'm, I'm very confident now was not confident six, eight. I mean, probably not until high school, I found my way and even probably faltered after that through college. But then, you know, I can talk to group. I don't have any problems as long as I'm comfortable with the topic, but I don't, but I know people obviously constantly that are, you know, still nervous as adults, forget about kids. And then and we can get more into this. I think it's interesting. Like you made a comment before about that life doesn't happen in a straight line. Boy, did it not happen in a straight line for you. I mean, you went from like, you know, this acting thing, you had a plan, you're going to do this. You go back, you go back to school, you do something totally unrelated and you're back there. So let's take a commercial. I think it's about two minutes. We'll hear from our sponsors and then we'll come back. We can talk more about that. 
and start to give people advice how to, you know, how to get over their fears and I don't know, whatever you teach everybody without giving away the farm, you know, type of thing. So, all right. So bear with me. We'll do some commercials. Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to market and grow your business? Or perhaps you're just getting started and want to hit the ground running. AWeber is the best choice for online email marketing and automation of your business. From maintaining a subscriber list to drip campaigns and landing pages, AWeber gives you tools and integrations that make marketing easy and fun. As our partner and sponsor, we use all their tools to promote the podcast and market our law firm. AWeber, the best alternative for online marketing. For over 30 years, the Alternative Board, or TAB, has built a thriving community of forward-thinking CEOs and business owners who want to radically improve their companies. Through unique combinations of one-on-one business coaching, participation in monthly TAB board meetings with other non-competing owners, a suite of strategic tools, and customized strategic planning workshops, TAB membership can deliver greater strength to your business and a better work-life balance for you and your family. All packaged in a streamlined and affordable service that the people at TAB invite you to try risk-free. Maybe you're looking to get into podcasting or you just want to market your business. Maybe you want to do it for enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts, as well as video shorts for business and personal use. Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created especially for our listeners. Follow the link in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. Let's get back into it because I think that a lot of people, um, you know, they're just not comfortable. And they even come to me and they're like, well, maybe I should start a podcast. I'm like, uh, you say, um, like every time you give a presentation, you know, you're going to be on a mic talking like that. So you got to get over that stuff. But why do you think if you go back to, you know, when you first got started and you were like, like the, the teacher that put you into that speaking con- oratory contest, whatever it was. And you you found you were just good at it. what do you think? Like, why were you not wetting your pants? Like most kids, you know? Well, I would say that first of all, fear is a learned behavior. We don't know good what point. we're supposed to be afraid of until we're told. And so I was never told that I was supposed to be afraid of speaking in public or being on stage. That was never part of the conditioning that I received. And so my first experience on stage was one of uh, joy and reward. So I had positive reinforcement the first time I was on stage. And then I was further reinforced at Easter when I got to do the Easter play and be Peter Rabbit. And then when I finally did get to audition... Uh, part and I was lucky. So again, part of it is 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 luck and the universe speaking its way to me, because right. when I got to play Tiny Tim, the casting director had been complaining very vocally in a restaurant about not being able to find. And I th- think her actual quote was, "How hard is it to find a little boy to play Tiny Tim?" And my uncle, who worked for the city 
and is, has been for his entire life. As long as I've known my uncle, he's been a perennial bachelor, which means his idea of cooking is either picking up the phone and ordering it to come to his place right. or him stepping out of the door and going to their place, but he does not cook otherwise. Right. And right. so he was out for lunch and he overheard this casting director complaining and, you know, he kind of, right. you know, sorry to eavesdrop, but how little is little? What are you looking for? He's like, cause my nephew is tiny. And I was like, I fully grown. Tyler Foley is five foot eight, 135 pounds. And I am the largest in my family. <laughs> yeah. So that's another thing. Like, so, and you're short, you're a little guy and you're still, you're right, man. I mean, maybe you just got lucky that you interacted with people and had experiences that were so reinforcing that you're like, this is great, as opposed to, you know, yeah. crickets. Well, you know, you stand up front. That's what makes people. And nervous. so I never had to audition for those first couple of roles. The first role, professional role that I had to audition for, I was basically sole sourced because they had nobody else. So, they, yeah, and then, so and the funny thing is, is they had auditioned other boys but there was like two or three of them and they they were timid probably because right. there was pressure put on them where my mom was like you know she was like well i don't know if you want to take tyler up go for it so my uncle ended up coming down to high river picking me up right i got to have a sleepover at grandma's that was cool <laughs> that's great right yeah and the theater was right downtown it was just down the street like it's not even 15 blocks from their house so then my uncle took me down i got to go and sit in the room he bought me a hamburger and an ice cream afterwards so the timing was just really good so this woman's attitude was like frustrated she was right? frustrated like, how hard could it right be so she just to find a little boy to pay all she needed was some kid <laughs> who was small enough to sit on another actor's shoulders and not crush it, who right. could s just say, God bless us, everyone, as happy as you could. <laughs> and that right. was my only instruction. You were supposed to go down and as happy as you could say, God bless us, everyone, in an English Should accent. say with a British accent or not? Yeah. So I, but, and that was the oh, thing. Yeah. She's like, can you do they an English accent? And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. What does it sound like? And they played a little right. thing of it. And I was like, oh yeah, I think I could do that, governor. Why not? Okay. And there it wasn't go. good. Like, but I mean, you're a little kid. Didn't exactly. It didn't have to be. Just had, right. had to sound good enough for. And 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 then it, that just took it off. So I, I didn't know that I needed to be afraid of these things. And that's right. And that's ignorance is when I'm working with a lot of the clients. That's the breakthrough yeah. that we need to make, because I need to right. to go back and deconstruct where that programming came. And that's usually one of two stories. Either at some point in early elementary schools, they were called upon by a, a person of authority, usually the teacher, teacher right. to give uh, an answer that they weren't prepared for. They didn't know. Right. And maybe right. they were fooling around or whatever it happened to be, but they didn't know. And so they either maybe gave the an laugh, incorrect right? answer or didn't respond at all. And yeah. then the whole class laughed at them. Yeah. Bullying has a lot to do. And it's that negative reinforcement. So the, the brain, yeah. right, went, this is a, perceived it as a threat. If I open my mouth, if I use my mouth, if I speak, and it's particularly if I speak and it's not the right thing, that's usually part of the programming, right. the right it's thing to say. If I don't say the quote unquote right thing, I will be attacked. And right. therefore, I won't say anything because then I can't yeah, be attacked. I, I think your brain is like, I don't know what just happened, but I never want that to happen again. again. So we're not going to do that. And thing. you avoid, it. we're not going to repeat yeah, that. And then it gets worse because you get more uncomfortable about exactly, you know, it's like facing your fears. And I think, I think getting kids to get up and, and 
do things when they're younger and give presentations and be comfortable is such a, I mean, there's a lot of skills that kids have to develop, but to, you know, because it, it exudes the confidence that you gain as an adult, as you get older in any, in any business. And people are, I don't care what people say. I'm a very big, um, you know, not power of positive thinking, but, you know, positive energy type of thing. Like we are electric beings and I don't care whether you like it or not. If you are negative, you put it out there. You want to keep it away from you, but you're really attracting it at the, at the end of the day. So if you're a positive person and you speak well and you're confident, people want, they flock to you and they might not even know why. I have been perceived a leader all of my life and I have very few leadership skills. But the one that I do have leadership training and MBA school, right? Yeah. Is this one that I can speak. And because I can speak, right. I'm perceived as a leader. Always have been. You know, I've been yeah. promoted to training Spanning roles. Voice, people listen to you. Absolutely. Yeah, most of my life. And yeah. uh, and to be honest, there's so many people who know so much more than me and have better technical skill sets than what I have. But that's not the way human beings work. Exactly. No. And, right. and so th- the other scenario that is very prevalent with people f- having a diminished voice, again, mm-hmm. very young age grew up in a household where children were to be seen and not heard. And that was yeah, it's very common, very strictly yeah. enforced. Right. And if it was strictly enforced, whether that was with corporal punishment or just, you know, um, verbal command, there is that trigger. This is a danger for me. And yeah. so my, my opinion or my voice doesn't matter. If I use my voice, I'll be hurt. So I should, if the quieter I am, the smaller I make myself, the safer I will be. And unfortunately, that when it translates into adulthood, that's right. when you don't feel confident in telling your own story. And it's it's funny because you'd alluded to it just before the break. You said, you know, um, I'm a fairly confident guy. And then you put a qualifier on it when I'm talking about the things that I know. Right. Of course. And that's the key. If you're being called upon yeah. to discuss things that you aren't comfortable with or that you don't know or that you don't feel that you have an authority in that space... Right. You're going to be more likely to, again, perceive that as a threat and feel less comfortable with it. Where if somebody comes right. on and asks you to speak on something that you that you know. Yeah, it flows right you, out of your you're head. You're going to riff for hours, if not days. It's hard to shut you up. Yeah. I think a big problem is what you just said. It's it's perpetuating from generation to generation. So your your parents are telling you, you know, to be seen and not heard. And, you know, because that's what they went through when they were younger. And now they're not that confident as adults. So the way they're it, showing it is to command you as the kid that they have to teach. And this, that. then it goes on and on and on. And I think that and I think that as there's a good lesson, because I think as business owners, this is an entrepreneur's podcast, right? So people are like, well, why are we talking about child actors and, you know, being in movies and everything? Because, you know, we want to have fun. We got nice mics and we got good headphones and the whole thing, right? But I, it does, it does carry over the way you carry yourself and have a commanding voice and are, what's the word, C- confident, right? Because of you, you, like you said, you're not an authority about in leadership, not an authority. You don't have extensive leadership training or certifications or whatever. But you, you have a believable voice. You're commanding. I do the same thing. People want to hear me talk to me, whatever. Even as a lawyer, because I talk like I, I believe in what I'm saying, whether I do where I don't know what I'm saying, but you know, they listen to me because you have a commanding voice and that people don't realize how far that will take you, how much more success you will achieve, how, what a better, what's the word quality of life confidence brings. And I have friends that are, 
you know, coaches and some of them are mindset coaches. Like people need to be coached on the, the mindset that they bring because you and I both know people get up and they, you know, they're in the mic and they're, you know, like this and they, they just hear themselves like they can't even appreciate what's going on because it's and you got to get out of your own head. And I guess you just had a knack for it, you know. That's what, what can I well, say? Well, and and again, you know, so blessed for the circumstances that led to it. Yeah, right. Because now I have this ability to to show up, and again, because I've been given all of these opportunities, because at an early age I could speak. Now I had all these opportunities to be in a leadership and training position. So I have developed over twenty to twenty five years a confidence in teaching people. I, when I was 17, I was a, the TA for my uh, drama department. My teacher, you know, I was the senior and I, I was the TA and I got to help instruct yeah. all of the uh, sophomores and juniors. Mm-hmm. And, and so again, having that ability to at a very young age, start to uh, train and put together curriculums and, and help instruct has translated into then, you know, I got to help teach acting classes, which helped me as a performer always. Right. right. So any teaching and guiding, yeah, always helps. Yeah. You. If you want to get question. better at anything, start teaching that teach thing. Other people. Right. And it's amazing how, how you learn and grow doing that. And then, you know, being a, a trainer in training people in my own, uh, business when I was doing that and then being a subcontracted trainer for multiple different training entities. Um, you right. know, I've, I've, so you're helping people, a lot of people in corporations yeah. now with training and leadership and internationally. Like I, I work with yes. a group out of Houston that, that subcontracts me as a trainer because of the feedback that they had on me when I facilitated one of their training programs. Right. Well, that's what referrals are all about. Now, what, what's some of the things that you see, cause you've trained a lot, you work with a lot of people that you see that people do like common problems that they have or common issues that they run into and then what are good ways to kind of start getting over those things? I don't, we're not going to solve people's problems here, but you know what I'm saying? Well, the first, the big problem that I have is I, the most interesting and engaging um, presentations are rooted in a story. Mm-hmm. Les Brown says it best. You never tell yeah. a story without a point and you never Talk make a point without a story. Yeah. Right. The problem is most people feel that they don't have a story. Right. And it's simply not true. No, Ev- they do have a story. I listen to people's stories all the time. I'm like, what? And they don't think it's a story. No. But to you and I, we're like, what? What, what are you talking Even about? Even for me, at the beginning of the episode, you read off my bio. I'm, I'm never, it never ceases to amaze me how impressive I sound when somebody reads my bio. <laughs> well, you wrote I, it. It should. Well, so that's impressive. the funny thing. I didn't write it. I actually, I hired That'll somebody, somebody else right, for you because I because that yeah. was my struggle. I you know, and I uh, I have by all metrics led a very interesting yeah. life. But for me, it's just it's my life. It's it's boring for me. Yeah. But when you condense it down, you're like, oh wow, I actually have led an interesting life. And so one of the things that I do with all of my clients is to help get over and dispel this myth that I don't have a story. I have them break up their life into five, even time periods. Mm. It's actually a thing that your listeners could do right now, Mitch, if they want to hit pause and grab a a pen and a piece of paper, or if they're really good at mental math, this is not hard. Just take your life, however old you are and round up to the, or down to the nearest five. Take that number, divide by five, and you will have five even time periods in your life. So if I do this, I'm 43, I round up to, 
45 divide by five and I get mm-hmm. five even time periods of nine years. Last year, if I did this exercise, I would have been 42, round down to 40, divide by five. I would have had five even time periods of eight years. And if there's any A types out there, because I know they're there and they want to be exact. If you're like, no, no, I'm, you are 43. And so that is not nine. That is (laughs) 8.7643276. You're like, okay, yeah, but try making that into months, my friend. It won't work. So if I have the A types out there, if you had to round up, take whatever uh, you rounded up by, it was only one or two and subtract right. it from your last time period. So the most recent time of your life would be that period. If you had to round down, it was only one or two, add that to your yeah, first time years, period. Years. Right. Okay? Because the first time period, you probably don't remember what happened when you were one or two years old. So we'll give yourself, not till five. We'll give yourself a little yeah. bit of buffer. And the most recent time period is going to be the most fresh in your mind. So you don't need the full seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 years, right? You just, right. we're just going to take it off of there. Now, yeah. when you have these time periods, I want you to, and you don't get any more than 20 to 30 seconds per time period. I want you to ask yourself, okay. what is the first memory that springs to mind when I think of me and that time? Okay. And then do that for each time period. What is the first thing that springs to your mind? What is that significant memory? When you think of you in that age, what is the first thing that springs to mind? When I do this, I have two very distinct memories in my first time period. The first one we've already discussed, and that is the sound. It's auditory. So that's the other thing too. These, these memories don't have to be these vivid moving pictures in our minds. It could be right. a smell. It could be a sound, it could be a color, it could be a vivid picture, or it could be kind of a hazy remembrance. But it's the thing that when you think you're like, no, that the first memory that comes to mind when I think of myself in this time period is this. So for me, one to nine, we've discussed it. It's the sound of applause and laughter during that Christmas play when I was six years old. And then the next most significant memory I have, because I do have two and they're very distinct and they're both audio and it's Uh literally almost three months to the day from the first memory. And that is the sound that my mother made uh, when an police officer and my family physician came to our back door and told her that my father was never coming home. And she made this horrific animalistic spine tingling uh air sucking like it like the the atmosphere was charged all of a sudden he wasn't sick or anything no it just it just it it just and you'll never forget no he was in a a single vehicle motor vehicle accident and he was was gone in in an instant and my mom made this sound that i never want to hear again so when i look at my life a lot of my life and my decisions that i've made have come from the avoidance of one sound at all cost and Mm -hmm. the seeking of one sound at all cost, because I will do anything for applause. If you tell me you will put me in front of an audience, I will show up anywhere, Mitch, and I won't even blink, (laughs) but I don't want to hear the other one. And so now, you know, in present day, I am a speaker and trainer, but I also own a safety company, safety consulting, because safety has become a real passion of mine based off of what I did for, you know, a couple of years after my uh, business collapsed mm-hmm. and to safety in the workplace, safety in the workplace. because if my father had had that in place, I may still have had a father. 
Yeah. And so a lot of the, a lot of who I became, again, it seemed very circuitous looking forward. But if I look back, every milestone needed to be there. And so as entrepreneurs, we need to look at what are our skill sets? How did we develop them? And particularly when it comes to public speaking, embrace our stories. So yeah, the, the exploration, when you do this exercise, it shouldn't take more than two or three minutes, right? Figure out what your memories are, your significant memories, the ones that spring to your mind first for each one of your time periods or epochs. And then the, the real homework begins. And this is the thing that we, they're going to have to do offline. Um, is explore why. Why is that memory significant? How did it impact your life? Why is that the one when you think of you at that age, that's important. And that starts to guide what your stories are. Because once you figure out why it's important to you, you can start to explore the lessons that are in it. And back to Les Brown's point, you never make a point without a story and you never tell a story without a point. Right. If you don't know what the points of these stories are, then they're, they're just stories. But if you right. know what the points of these stories are, now they are lessons. Yeah. And that's how you can teach. So. And that's, and, and as you said, you can speak forever knowing the stuff that you know, and nobody right. on the planet is a bigger authority on your life than you. So that's what right. you speak. And from. people relate, you know, people relate to that. I just had a guy on a couple of weeks ago. It was all about storytelling is selling type of thing. He told me about a book called getting naked, which I've been reading. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, about that, you know, people go in and they want to tell everything about their product and nobody really cares. They, they just want to know where well, you're a good person and all those stories and stuff. But my dad, I was fortunate enough to have my dad for almost 80 years. He would have been 80 yesterday and he died in December. He was 79 years old. And I, you know, here I am like, you know, I have my sister, I have my mom, I'm like basically the oldest adult in the family next to my dad's brother. And I'm like, I'm going to give my dad's like eulogy. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. Get up in front. It's very personal. I mean, for business, state planning, business planning, whatever, I'll speak all the time. But to get up and to share this type of stuff, I'm like, I'm not doing this. And my kids are like, well, we want to speak at Papa's funeral. My kids are 17, 19, and 22, right? So I was like, well, first of all, if my kids are going to get up and speak at my father's funeral, I got, I got to, I got to speak. Everybody's expecting me to speak. It was going to be on zoom. I mean, there's people around the world that were watching this thing. So that's exactly what happened though. From what you just, the exercise you just said, I sat down and I said, okay, well, people know him in certain regards, his involvement in the community. He was an insurance salesman since 1965. So they knew the salesman part of him, the, the friend, but they didn't know him as a dad like I did because right. So I got up there and I mean, I'd been writing for days. I had pages and things that crossed out and changed and thought about, and I got up there. I don't know, Tyler, how long I spoke. It was a long time. People were ready to leave, but I shared stories and I, it did. It started when we were little when, and the things that happened and the fishing trips we went on and the, the football games we went to and all the kind of stuff that we've been through to share who he was to me. Not who he was just as, you know, well, he was this wonderful guy and he did all these things like, you know, okay, fine. That'll be in his obituary. But I think, and it, and it was easy for me because they were my stories that I remembered having gone through, you know? So I think uh, there's a lot to be said for that. It's an excellent exercise for people that want to, you know, start to get comfortable with who they are and what their story means. It's important. Well, especially as an entrepreneur, because- yeah. yeah, and I I love that your father was an insurance salesman because that is a perfect example. He is not the only insurance salesman. No, they're and, everywhere. Right, they are everywhere. Right, but right. what set him apart was commitment to community, fishing, 
football. Right? right. And so when you start explaining these things, these are, this is why I do this, you know, a lot. Uh, it's one of the first things on my website. If you come to total buy-in, I uh, is my, you know, about the company and it's probably the second phrase in, I lost my father at six years old. I recognize the impact that that had on me and my family, particularly my part of who you are. Sure. And it shaped who I am. And it's important to me that no one else have to experience that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I say on my website is if if I even have a 0.001% reduction in workplace incidents, you did the job. 10,000 right. people. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So I want to be a reason why somebody thinks twice about stepping up on a ladder with duct tape and wire keeping it together. Yeah, what a story. He didn't get hurt, did no. he? No. Oh, good. But he could have. Yeah, big time. If I hadn't been there, you know, like that that could have given away so easily. And the problem is, is they get there's this mentality that, well, I got away with it here, so obviously I can get away with it there. Well, no, eventually yeah, that doesn't work that you know, way. If you play Russian roulette enough, you're gonna take a bullet. Exactly. It's gonna happen. And, and so for our entrepreneurs who are listening, you do have a story. And it's your mm-hmm. story that differentiates you. Like for me, being now a public speaking coach, there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who do what I do. Right. But nobody does it my way. And my way comes from this set of experience. So my setup is I can show you how to do an entertaining presentation, regardless of what it is. I make safety interesting. Yeah. How do I do that? You're good through the story, through the power of story, through uh, getting people to connect with their own personal stories, so that they are telling these things in these toolbox talks and these, you know, tailgate meetings and these safety meetings, so that they so that their workers identify with them and go, "Oh, I get it now," and they can relate to you because otherwise, it just becomes, you know, you're just telling statistics. And right. it's that old adage, well, nobody right? The speech. They want to watch movies. Yeah. They want to see the story. They want to feel the emotion, understand what you went through and, you know, say, oh my God, I, I don't know if I could experience that. Or, oh, I remember when my, you know, relative passed away and people relate. That's how you connect with people. Stats yeah, no tell, but stories sell. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. I think it's awesome. Now, Tyler, um, how can people, you know, connect with you, start to learn from you, um, read about you and your stuff? And maybe even eventually use your services. Well, the best thing they can do is uh, go to my website, seantylerfoley.com. And Sean is spelled the proper okay. Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y. <laughs> there will be a link in the show notes. Too. Yeah, and there will be a link in the show notes. But I would ask a favor, Mitch, if your audience yes. is going to scroll down to the show notes to come and click on my okay. link. And, and I appreciate it if anybody has been interested in our conversation. And I apologize, too, that we didn't get to a lot of the technical, uh, but right. we did have a wonderful conversation. Yes. But if if they are interested in learning more about me, they found out about me through you, which means that they are listening to the accidental entrepreneur on a regular basis, or at least have come across you first. And so before they hop off of your platform to come see me, if they have not done so yet as a favor to me, I would ask that they give you a five-star review and because they're going to have to scroll past it, right? To get to the show notes, to come to my link, you're going to have to go past those five (laughs) blank stars and a little comment bar, click the five stars and the comment bar is not there for decoration. Let Mitch know why you're a regular consumer of this podcast. What was one of your favorite episodes? What drew you to the podcast and what 
brings you back so that Mitch can bring those type of guests on. You know, if this was too rambling and you needed more technical, let us know so that we can so we can do better. And if you liked the storytelling aspect of it, let us know. Be specific so that Mitch can tailor this show and its content to serve you better. And if you're willing to do that, it'll help all of us. You're going to get better content. Mitch is going to know what you're enjoying. So that's going to help him grow his show. If he grows his show, there's more likely a chance that people will see this episode and people will come and see my website. So we're helping everybody by doing this, but it starts with you giving a five-star review to Mitch. And if you're willing to do that, if you come to my website by clicking on the show notes, (laughs) seantylerfoley.com, as a gift to you for giving a five-star review, you will see at the top of the webpage an invitation to join my private Facebook group, Endless Stages, where I go live every Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 Eastern time for 20 minutes to give uh, a training tip of the week, usually pulled okay. from the comments that our uh, members leave for me. So if you're struggling with a thing, you can say, you know, I want help with this. The last couple of training sessions that we've done, we've talked about the difference between speaker bureaus and agents and when should you get one? How do you get yeah. one? Uh, we discussed a few weeks ago on finding your powerful story and how to create it so that uh, your audience um, is engaged with it because most people, once they figure out their story, still tell it wrong. They try to be the hero and you're not the hero of your story and why you're not the hero of your story. So we discuss that. So I go live every Tuesday at noon Pacific three Eastern as a gift to your, uh, to all of our members who come to endless stages. You will also get a free PDF download of my number one bestselling book, the power to speak naked and access to my online training course, drop the mic, which is uh, seven, five minute training videos. So you can digest them over a week uh, with your morning coffee. And they're very quick, actionable tips to be a better, more confident speaker and really start to hone your messaging. So all of that is a gift to your audience, Mitch, but only if they give you a five-star review, no (laughs) five-star review, no gifts for you. Right. That link's going to be embedded in there. If they don't do a five-star review, it's not going to work. That's right. Right. Exactly. Well, I can't thank you enough. Um, let's definitely stay in touch and follow each other's journey. And I probably should do more. I do a lot of public speaking, some of this on Zoom and training and this, but I should do more because uh, I do enjoy, you know, they're reaching, touching people and sharing with them. Easily. Well, you shouldn't touch people, Mitch, yeah. not without their consent. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, especially nowadays. Especially nowadays. But it, the <laughs> thing is, is, the reason we called it endless stages is because your opportunities to speak in public are limitless. And all you need to do is open your eyes to those opportunities because that's how you get better at doing it. I only can tell my stories now because I've been doing it for as long as I have. And, Practice, but it's possible yeah. to get that experience very rapidly, very quickly, because most people don't want to public speak. So if you're the person right. who's willing to step up and people have, be brave people want speakers for and say it, sure. you've got that opportunity. So thank you for yeah. my right. opportunity, Mitch, to be on your show. Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate it. We're going to run the closing credits. Hopefully they'll work. If you hear nothing but silence, then we'll stop the video and I'll deal with it on, on, uh, in the editing room. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Accidental Entrepreneur. Opening and closing music written and performed by Howie Moscovich and Made to Order Music. For information about Howie and his music services, please follow the link in our show notes. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. 
If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted by Mitch Beinacker and produced by Beinacker Law. If you'd like to learn more about our business and legal services, you can find us on social media or visit our website at BeinackerLaw.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.